In Titus 2, older women are commanded to teach what is good so they can help younger women love their husbands and children. On today's show, you'll hear from older women who will share timeless, relevant biblical wisdom and personal, profound life experiences to help answer your questions and teach what God says is good so you can be the wife and mother you were created to be. Welcome to another episode of Older Women Likewise. Greetings, all. Isla and Allison, my soul sisters. Hello. Hi. Good evening. Are you guys doing well? Yeah. Yes. Great. Yeah. All right. Beautiful. We'd like to start out tonight by welcoming every kind of viewer to this program, no matter your present worldview. More than anything else tonight, we want all that is only good to come your way. So just know that this conversation is a labor of love, especially to those souls who are just beginning to wonder if they've been deceived. Souls that maybe sense a kind of growing emptiness and are ready to reconsider some of life's most serious questions. That takes courage. And we at Older Women likewise greatly admire that and are here to say there is hope for everyone. My first reason I'd like to share with you uh, tonight as we're talking about why we believe in God, reasons we believe in God, is that we are not living in a cartoon. Only in cartoons and su can such things pop into existence, like suddenly, out of nowhere. I'm sure you've noticed in the history of the planet, not once has something naturally come from nothing, like ever. Listen, if you're going to hear one sentence from this entire program, let it be this one. If there were ever had been a time when nothing or no one existed, then there would still be nothing now. Because again, not once has something naturally come from nothing. Every single thing we see came from something or someone. Even the atheist poster child, Richard Dawkins, of course, has to admit this. And in more recent years has been desperate enough to propose something on a video clip that we're about to share with you. You are about to witness an argument that acknowledges that there must be a first cause, but avoids the key issue by misleading and distracting from this most relevant and important question. Since something cannot come from nothing, how did everything originate? I think his argument might surprise you. So you have no idea how it started? No, 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 no nor has anybody. Nor has anyone else. What do you think is the possibility that, there, that intelligent design might turn out to be uh, the answer to some issues in uh, genetics or in, well, in evolution? It could come about in the following way. It could be that uh, at some earlier time, somewhere in the universe, a civilization e evolved by probably some kind of Darwinian means to a very, very high level of technology and designed a form of life that they seeded onto perhaps this, this planet. Um, now, th that is a possibility and an intriguing 
possibility. Mm. And I suppose it's possible that you might find evidence for that if you look at the, um, at the detail, details of biochemistry, molecular biology, you might find a signature of some sort of designer. Wait a second. Richard Dawkins thought intelligent design might be a legitimate pursuit? Um, and that designer could well be a higher intelligence from elsewhere in the universe. Well, but that higher intelligence would itself have had to have come about by some explicable or ultimately explicable process. It couldn't have just jumped into existence spontaneously. That's the point. So Professor Dawkins was not against intelligent design, just certain types of designers, such as God. Any responses, you guys? What do you think about this video? Amazing. <laughs> yes, I, I feel like a lot of us feel like um, atheists and people who don't believe in God, that they are holding all the scientific cards, that all science reflects that, which I even even Richard Dawkins is saying that is not true. I feel like the presence of God is even more obvious in science. Um, what you were talking about before in the beginning is actually what's called the first law of thermodynamics. And it sounds okay. complicated, but for a music teacher, you know, what that means is like from the sound of music, there's that song that says nothing comes from nothing, nothing ever could. So mm. that's what it's talking about. And no matter who you speak to, an atheist or a professor or one of the leading um, evolutionists or people who do not believe in God, you continue to ask this question. Well, where did that come from? Where did that come from? Where did that come from? And um I, there was a professor at Berkeley who got up and was uh, speaking on the subject and they were saying, okay, well, where did this come from? And he was saying, one of the theories was that there was a cosmic egg. Okay. And so they said, it, and this cosmic egg, I guess he was basically saying is sort of like the big bang theory where everything was pressing down together and then it exploded out. Okay. And someone in the audience asked the professor, where did the cosmic egg come from? And um, he said, I beg to be excused from this question. Is that an option? <laughs> okay. What, what? And of course, some student on the front row jumps up and says, I know it was the cosmic chicken. <laughs> Perfect. But that answer is every bit as scientific as mm -hmm. the others. I, I, I don't know. We don't know where that came from. I think the most logical answer is that an intelligent being created it. You know, if you think about Canis Majoris is a large star. It's one of the largest that we know of. It mm. would take 1,100 years to fly in a jet around this star. It is that big. That I mean, much matter. Where did it come from? It can't just, nothing comes from nothing, nothing yes. ever could. And yeah. then if you want to go on, the second law of thermodynamics, which once again sounds fancy, but really it just means that everything decays, okay? <laughs> everything falls apart over time. So, for example, if you talk about, if you have a house and you open all the windows and the doors and you leave for a year and you come back and it's perfectly clean, there are groceries in the, you know, pantry. There's a cake on the counter and there's an extra bedroom in the back. <laughs> yeah. Is your most logical conclusion 
that it just happened. Mm -hmm. No, no. <laughs> the most logical and sec scientific conclusion, according to the second law of thermodynamics, is that an intelligent being went in there and cleaned it up and baked the cake and built. That is the most logical conclusion that you can come up with. So. Agreed, agreed. Um, he mentioned in this video aliens, like alien farmers to me is a really fun idea personally, right. but it, you know, it just bumps that same question from planet to planet, doesn't it? Where did everything originate? Who seeded the aliens before these aliens and the aliens before them? Right. Where Switching, did that come from? Where did that yeah. come from? Where did that yeah. come from? Yes. Switching the backdrop to another planet is fancy, but it doesn't answer that question. And I, for one, am not buying into alien farmers, no matter who is selling it or how admired the other people are who are buying it. Like, it's not a popularity contest. Um, here's, the, here's what seems to me to be to make better sense. And it very much goes along with what Allison said. Allison, did you have something to add before I get yeah, in? Was, I, I'm good. Yeah, go okay. ahead. All right. Since things obviously exist now, it logically follows that something or someone has existed forever. Here we only have two choices. Either everything miraculously came from nothing or the most intelligent mind that ever existed miraculously created everything. Both are miracles, but which miracle is most likely? Which miracle does the evidence most support? Has matter existed, existed forever or has immaterial intelligence existed forever? Given the fact that scientists assign an age to the universe and everything within the universe, an age always admits a beginning or a starting point, doesn't it? Your own age indicates your starting point. And anything with an age is obviously not eternal. When you are trying to figure out whether this universe came from mind or it came from matter and ponder for any length of time, the incomprehensible complexity and the unfathomable wise design of the universe and the fact that matter cannot come naturally from anything except in cartoons, the only reason and most scientific conclusion the honest mind can reach is that an omniscient mind and omnipotent power has always existed. Any other thoughts before I move on, guys? Even the genius of an eye. I mean, yeah. about simply that, the being able to look at something, your brain is able to translate colors and depth and all kinds of different, yeah. just the eye alone, the brilliance of that. It just seems impossible that that small element could just be created by accident. Yes. I have a friend actually, Allison, that came into her biology um, classes in college as an atheist and she remembers that the moment she realized there was a God, she was looking through a microscope and lifted her eyes. I think she was looking at the workings of a cell and she's like, there is a God. So you're right. You could spend your whole lifetime just studying the eye or whatever. One, and it just correct. gets more and more deep. 
it's fantastic. <laughs> I love that. So again, since life can only come from life, either something or someone must be eternal. Who then is the origin of everything? Well, there is only one who claims to be such in Revelation 22, 13, where it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, unquote. Atheists will, of course, argue with this claim. But a former atheist turned believer named C.S. Lewis came to realize for himself, quote, when you argue against him, you are arguing against the very power that makes you able to argue at all. It is like cutting off the branch you are sitting on, C.S. Lewis. Uh, any thoughts on that? Now, that's great because, uh, you know, it's really... Logic is what yeah. really grounds me in my thinking and my actions. And, and I find that God is the most logical of all first choices, clauses rather. May I read what uh, Dr. Henry Morse stated? Uh, the scientific law of cause and effect, where he wrote, the first cause of limitless space must be infinite. The first cause of endless time must be eternal. The first cause of boundless energy must be all-powerful. The first cause of universal interrelationships must be omnipresent. The first cause of infinite complexity must be all-knowing. The first cause of moral values must be moral. The first cause of spiritual values must be spiritual. The first cause of human responsibility must have free will. The first cause of human integrity must be truthful. The first cause of human love must be loving. The first cause of life must be living. Behold thy God, my listeners, he wrote. He is the first cause of all the good that has ever come your way. Really expresses that well. Yes. Yes, I love that. So I'd like to offer a second reason at this point for why I believe in God. And that is this. You'd have to be God to say with absolute certainty that there is no God. Here's what I mean. One would have to be omnipresent to prove there is no God. For otherwise, God could be where you are not. One would likewise need to be omniscient to know with absolute certainty that there is no God, because whatever knowledge you lack may be the very knowledge you needed to realize God's existence. So, I mean, I didn't make this up. Obviously, other people have had this same idea. And here's how another writer put this idea, quote, you would have to know everything and be everywhere to at every time in order to affirm, I know there's no God. To be a genuine atheist, you must be omniscient and omnipresent. Attributes we associate with God, you would have to be God in order to say there is no God, unquote, Arlie Hoover. You and I can't be everywhere. We can't know everything. So we're inviting every atheist watching this Every agnostic who's not sure, think again. Take another humble look at the evidence of God's existence. Yes. Praying for that, Isla, so, so much. 
So my third reason I'll offer as to why I believe in God is much less objective and much more personal. And I honestly don't make any apologies for that. I realize that, as Oskinis has said, Christian faith is not true because we experience it. But we experience it deeply and gloriously because it is true. So this story, it's a beautiful story, um, and it exemplifies that quote, I think, very, very well. It's a story that I've shared before, and I tell it here again to benefit those who have not yet heard it. I believe in God because the existence of God explains this something that is almost impossible that happened in my family, something I witnessed firsthand. In the mid-80s, for her own reasons, my mother prayed to the God in the Bible that my troubled adopted brother would find his birth family. Around this time, circumstances fell into place where he ended up outside a cabin at a reform school. They'd moved him, incidentally, uh, from one cabin into another cabin, and there he is sitting at a picnic table playing cards with another young man. When someone passes by the two of them, noting that the other young man my brother was playing cards with looked like he could be his brother. Everyone present thought it was hysterical, and they just kind of like laughed it off. And as they continued to play cards, they, however, happened to stay on the topic. And as each one happened to mention things about their own lives and families, things started lining up in one of those like goosebump kind of ways that can make it hard for witnesses to even believe their ears and eyes. The other young man had a brother who had been given up for adoption in the same year and in the same city that my brother had been born. Eventually adoption records and phone calls confirmed the truth. My mother's prayer had been answered. That prayer to the God in the Bible. I mean, we were floored, you guys. Have you guys heard this story? Did I tell you this? I don't know you if I've heard, heard it on Al. Yeah. Or... You've told it to me, but I love to hear it. <laughs> I want to see pictures. I want to know how much they look. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. That's just, that's, um, I mean. That's super cool. Yeah. So we, I mean, we were so floored and I'm still floored to be honest. Um, so I started looking up the numbers, like trying to, I certainly have not taken any statistics class or what, however you learn about like, what are the chances of this, you know, figuring that out. Um, but trying to wrap my head around what the chances would have been. Um, the first thing I looked up, you know, this happens in like around 1984 and the world population is for. 8 billion. So my mother is praying that my brother would meet one in 4.8 billion people. And God said, yes. And so that blew me away. But then I realized, wait, the chances are much higher than even four, one in 4.8 billion, because you'd have to multiply one in 4.8 billion by the number of topics two juvenile delinquents can possibly discuss during a given card game. <laughs> Then you'd have to multiply that number by the chances of the another kid walking by and observing the similarity and multiply those chances by a kid, you know, voicing that observation and multiply that by the chances of staying on that topic long enough to exchange just the right facts. The answer to my mother's prayer seemed next to impossible. 
But with God, I saw with my own two eyes that all things are possible with God. And this, this, you guys, is not the only answer to prayer that I've had to pick my jaw up off the floor. But honestly, every time and against all odds, prayer is answered. It gives me yet another reason to acknowledge God's existence. So we should do a podcast. I mean, um, uh, Older Woman Likewise program sometime about um, answered prayers. I mean, that is so faith building, like gather up a bunch of yes. sisters. Um, and if you have a story of an amazing answered prayer, feel free to add that down in the comment section. That would be cool. Um, anything before I move on to uh, idea number four, reason number four? I can't wait to hear it. All right. All right. So the fourth reason I believe in God, the God of the Bible, is because the moral standard he created has proven throughout history to be the only one that works. So let me be very clear. I'm not saying here that God's existence and the Christian faith are true because they work. I contend that the Christian faith works because it's true. In fact, it works so well that God's moral laws are reminiscent of the wisdom that keeps our physical earth functioning like clockwork. God's standards of right and wrong work as well as the law of gravity works in preventing social chaos. His moral laws, then, I believe, are yet another kind of intelligent design that indicates his existence. Because of the complete order of his standards of right and wrong, all the order that those create and the disorder that his laws prevent and resolve. I mean, think about it. If everyone would have followed God's moral standard revealed to us in the New Testament, it would have prevented the Civil War. Because God's moral law forbids kidnapping. It forbids unkindness. And doing anything to another human being you would not want done to you. Matthew 7, 12. For those same reasons, if everyone had followed God's morals, moral laws, every act of racism would have been prevented. As would every act of violence, every crime, every murder of an innocent unborn child, none of it would have happened. Furthermore, if everyone followed God's morals laws, there would be no one in prison. It would raise the standard of living for the poorest, the very poorest, and really every citizen, and ensure that virtually every child has all the emotional, financial, and spiritual advantages that come along with having both a mother and a father. God's moral laws lived out would eventually vacate orphanages and the foster system, foster care system. God's moral standards in the New Testament lived out would prevent every act of child molestation and prevent every future case of sex trafficking and exploitation and would save us the $16 billion we spend annually treating the 20 million new cases of STDs. If we lived out God's moral laws from the beginning of this nation, those funds could have been used instead toward finding a cure for heart disease, cancer, and diabetes, the leading causes of death for around 3 million people every year. Living by God's moral standard would cure AIDS in one generation, an expenditure that averages $380,000 per case. <laughs> 
over a lifetime for the new 40,000 cases that surface annually on average. Living by God's moral standards would result in the replacement of every strip club and porn shop from coast to coast with businesses that actually improve our communities. The positive ripple effects of living by God's moral standards are immeasurable and incalculable and would change everything because virtually every social problem is solved by acknowledging the existence of God and his lordship of our lives. When we admit this ultimate benevolent authority and bow our knees and to his wise lordship of our lives, our society would become unrecognizable in its vibrancy. So this is one reason why I believe the God of the Bible exists who gave us the New Testament containing his moral standards. So just a kind of an intelligent design. Um, anything you guys wanted to add to that? or I was, was going to say sometimes people start with a conclusion and then okay. work their reasoning from there. If you start with the conclusion of, you know, there is no God and they don't want there to be a God because if there is a God, then there's a moral law like you were yes. speaking of. So they say, no, there's not a God be because I don't want to do what he says. Instead of looking at the facts at the science. Um, one of my favorite scriptures is in Romans 1, 18 through 21. It, Paul actually is simply saying, looking at nature, it makes it so clear and constant that ignoring the fact that there is no God is indefensible. So here, I'll start reading in 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heavens against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. That's kind of scary there. Yeah. He's saying, I, you know, it's indefensible. If you if you don't see God in nature, in all these different things, you are without excuse. He God is and Paul is actually saying there, it's obvious. Obvious. Yeah. Agreed, agreed. Wow. Oh, and let me also say I love the yeah. Psalm 19 1, the heavens oh. declare the glory of God. You know, and it is, I mean, when I look up, it's just amazing to me and that it goes on and on and on the depths of space and they just you know um launched another um satellite telescope so i can't wait to see what that comes up with yeah it's so exciting yeah it's a wonderful time to be alive and to see the advances not only in telescopes but microscopes mm -hmm. and okay. that we're looking deeper and deeper into everything and further and further and it's really as if God allows each generation to discover fresh evidences at this point, you know, so many fresh evidences of his intelligent design without excuse for sure. It's like it's one of the most obvious realities of all realities is the existence of God. So my fifth reason that I believe in God builds really on that last reason. I believe in God because godlessness ruins everything. The scriptures um, make a strong connection between atheism, 
atheism and wickedness. Isla, would you mind reading those uh, two passages that we selected that cover that? Yes, I'd be glad to. Uh, let's look at uh, Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. And the same connection uh, we see is made in Psalm 10 and verse three through four, where God says, for the wicked boasts of his heart's desire and the greedy man curses and spurns the Lord. The wicked in the haughtiness of his countenance does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Thank you for reading that, Isla. It mentions corruption, abominable deeds, greed, curses, spurning the Lord, wickedness, haughtiness of conscience, of conscience, um, um, countenance. Sorry, and I think there's a lot of talk right now in the culture about good. We can be good without God. That's a lot of the topics of books being written and everything. The scriptures say something else, and really, I think if you watch the culture, it speaks for itself. Can we be good without God? It's not working. The morals of the godless ruin everything and over time make the planet unlivable for everyone. You can know that living by the God-given moral standard within the New Testament is right and that the moral relativity among atheists is, are wrong, atheists is wrong by the very fact that every person's body mind, spirit, and soul only grow stronger and healthier in the light of God's wisdom lived out day by day. But the same is not true among the godless. Many have observed firsthand that if you tell people that they are just bundles of chemical reactions and merely the descendants of pond scum and are just animals, they start to live as such. And the more people that live as such, the more barbaric a culture becomes. And it all adds up. Why should I be concerned about another's happiness if, as an atheist claims, happiness is nothing more than like a chemical reaction in the brain? Why would anyone care what the particular chemical reactions are of any other human being if we're all just rearranged palm scum? And if there's no objective right or wrong and barbaric people start rioting and knocking other barbaric people over the head to take their stuff, if there's no right or wrong, like we've no business to get angry about that. If we're all just chemicals, like we don't get angry at baking soda for reacting with vinegar, chemicals are going to be chemicals. So if we really are just animals, putting people in a gas chamber is not any more immoral than spraying raid on, a gant, on an anthill. This godless thinking caused Mao, made Mao uh, quite comfortable about exterminating about 55 million people in four years. People, you guys, who are as real as you and I. Stalin's godlessness resulted in 20 million people being exterminated during the Gulag Archipelago. If we're on the animals and there is no objective God-given moral standard, then this is no more wrong than dealing with like a lice infestation. I mean, like we don't throw a tiger in jail for killing a water buffalo, right? Why should anyone be punished if we are all only animals? I mean, animals kill animals. Like what's the big deal? And certainly selective breeding of we animals could be quite advantageous, advantageous 
um, at least that's what the very godless thinking was that led to the death of six million Jews in just five years in Nazi Germany. But to the God of the Bible, every soul, every single soul is worth more than the whole world. So that's why the fifth reason I believe in God is because godlessness ruins everything. Any responses on that section, you guys? Uh, um, Cindy, have you seen, there's a meme and it's a person looking in a mirror and it says, if your God lets you do whatever you want to do, then your God is really you. Yes, you know? ma'am. And, <laughs> and when every single person on the planet considers themselves to be their own moral authority, then it's complete chaos. There has to be one authority one all-knowing, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent authority on that. Otherwise, it's just everybody. It's survival of the fittest. Absolutely. Yes, that one moral standard. Because, I mean, we have standards for everything else. We have weights. We all have agreed. You know, what is a pound? We all have agreed. How many inches are in a yard? All of that. There needs to be an objective standard. And I, we have seen any chaos that you've witnessed on these tragedies that I've mentioned in history are all a result of not acknowledging the creator's moral standard of right and wrong and the value of human life that he says, because we're made in the, his image. That's what gives us our value. And yeah, it's all a result of that kind of thinking. So the last, anything else? That's it. I was just going to say that one year when I was teaching, uh, the school system put into place, we would teach the kids morals, but without uh, talking about God or the Bible. And it went over as well as you have discussed here, because why not? If it works yeah. for me, if I lie and I get away with it and it's a benefit to me, why not? You know, if I steal from somebody else and I don't get caught, why not? And uh, you just cannot teach morals, moral values of the Bible without faith in God. You have they go together. Otherwise, there's no, as you said, there's no standard and, and there's no reason to do those things. Uh, and it's just pointless. But without any moral standards uh, and, and without God, a society just crumbles into Dog eat dog, as it were. Yes, yes, yes. And Isla, I'm so thankful for the, the time that you spent influencing all those young children and the, and the teachers, you know, the Christians that are getting degrees in teaching now that are going into the schools and really representing our creator and his moral standard, you know, and kind of showing examples of drawing the line where he draws the line and how much order that can cause rather than disorder. So really, really thankful for everyone that is in education, for sure. So the last reason today that I will share with you of why I believe in God is because I believe peer pressure to be the stupidest foundation on which to build a worldview. <laughs> you don't need me to tell you that what's trending right now is to lie about history and to pressure people into walking lockstep with the atheist in crowd or be regarded as stupid if you don't especially because of the history that I've just noted in this program, 
I certainly don't want a worldview that's based on trendy cultural indoctrination of whatever is presently trending or whatever way the wind is presently blowing. That is whatever the majority opinion is in this tiny little snapshot of time that I'm living in. Atheists like to claim that people believe in God because of peer pressure from family and friends. Often the opposite is true. Believers in God hold that truth is true even when nobody believes it and falsehood is false even if everyone believes it. That is why truth does not shield, does not yield to opinion or fashion or numbers or office. It is simply true. And that's the end of it. Unquote. This is from Oskinis. Uh, truth is the real peer pressure you guys right now is on students and employees and other social circle circles people that are out um, in their fields um their lines of their careers and such um and because there's often a social setting there where anti-god sentiment is idolized and bigotry is fierce against the believers of god and in some cases such students and employees had better deny their convictions or be expelled like either socially like like it's just kind of a shunning kind of thing or physically i don't know if you guys have witnessed any of that in your circles but i think we're seeing um we're seeing a lot in schools and that kind of thing that you do not have a right to your christianity if you're going to believe in god you can find another place especially yeah. in the sciences it's I, well, that's what I was going to say, especially in sciences. Um, my dad is a geologist and I can remember a time he took a rock to a university to be um, dated. And okay. they said he flew down. They set a time. The professor came out. And then when they realized that he was a creationist, that he believed in God, they refused to date the rock, which really it's sort of like, isn't that science? I mean, it is what it is, whether mm -hmm. he's a whether he believes in the cosmic mm -hmm. egg or the cosmic chicken or whatever, it doesn't matter. Science should be science, but mm -hmm. there is a pressure amongst scientists that as soon as to demean and diminish what you know, that you're stupid if you believe this. And yeah, you know, through some of the things that you've talked about, through some of the scientific things we've talked about, I actually think we're the ones holding all the cards. Oh, yeah. Well, because God holds the cards and if we're on God's side, <laughs> yeah. yeah there, I, I'll just mention one other thing. Um, sure. There was a dinosaur footprint with a human footprint inside of it. Okay. Which I'm going to talk about later on in March yeah. when we talk about evidences and creationism. But it, which quick thing is like when cement, I mean, limestone is like cement forms really quickly. They can't be separated by millions of years. If there's okay. a dinosaur footprint with a human footprint inside, several people were flown down to go and take pictures and everything. And by the time they got there, someone who was an atheist had taken a tire iron to the fossil and just completely beaten it. And once again, Science is science, right? It is what it is. Let's look at it, look at the facts and take it for what it is. Mm -hmm. Try to diminish it. Well, this can't be true. So we're just going to destroy it because people will get confused. Yeah. It's, you know, this, this thought of everybody else is stupid. That, and it, it simply is not true. Not true. Not true. 
Yeah, I think this, uh, the people that are up against all this social pressure, I really want to encourage them tonight. Um, I'd like to share what an atheist turned Christian Lee Strobel said. Um, he said this about the period in his life when he was deciding if he should pay the social penalty penalties for walking away from atheism versus the price of what keeping his eyes closed to the reality of God's existence would cost him. So here's what he said. He said, quote, to continue in atheism, I would need to believe that nothing produces everything. Non-life produces life. Randomness produces fine tuning. Chaos produces information. Unconsciousness produces consciousness and non-reason produces reason. I simply did not have that much faith, unquote. So there's other people, you guys, who have stood up in social circles. And I mean, Allison's dad is one of them. Um, and she's mentioned his stories, some of his stories, and we'll get into more of those um, kinds of evidences. Um, but one more example I'd like to mention among the many atheists who have turned believer is believers is Francis Collins, Dr. Francis Collins. He's a geneticist who served as the director of the National Institutes of Health. And after heading up the Genome Project, authored a book called The Language of God, A Scientist Pr Presents Evidence for Belief. Dr. Collins had the courage to stand up in the scientific community and tell the truth about the evidence he observed while unlocking the mysteries of DNA. Evidence that he believes points very clearly to the existence of a creator. I mean, I don't see everything eye to eye with Francis Collins. I don't see everything how he sees it. But what I what an inspiration, you guys, he is, he is to us and um, especially those that are being asked to stand alone. He stood alone and he was one of the first in his circle to say out loud, in essence, the emperor does not have new clothes. Yeah. I am done going along with the lie, no matter what it costs me. And that just is so inspirational to me. So before we, uh, as we begin to conclude our thoughts and all, there's a really interesting example that I think we should all be aware of, of indoctrination indoctrination that atheism uses and that is to lie about history as we've mentioned in order to pressure people into walking lockstep with this atheist in crowd so here is an example um if our producer will start that video so on which uh, Ernest Hemingway, Abraham Lincoln, Carl Sagan, Mark Twain, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, Albert Einstein and Charles Darwin along with the words atheism good enough for these idiots Clearly, atheism is for intellectuals. But one moment, Abraham Lincoln wasn't an atheist. He said, I know that the Lord is always on the side of the right, but it's my constant anxiety and prayer that I and this nation should be on the Lord's side. Neither was Carl Sagan. He clearly stated, I am an agnostic. Mark Twain hated religion, but he certainly wasn't an atheist, saying, none of us can be as great as God, but any of us can be as good. Benjamin Franklin said, God governs in the affairs of men. You'll find Thomas Edison listed on celebrity atheists, on positive atheism, and other atheist websites. But he wasn't an atheist. He said, there is a great directing head of people and things, a supreme being who looks after the destinies of the world. Thomas Jefferson said, say nothing of my religion. It is known to myself and my God alone. 
Albert Einstein rejected the Bible as the word of God and said that the Creator was unknowable and that God being personal was childlike. He lamented, view of such harmony in the cosmos, which I, with my limited human understanding, am able to recognize, there are yet people who say there is no God. Well, what really makes me angry is that they quote me to support such views. He categorically said, I am not an atheist. And when referring to those who deny the Creator, he used the term fanatical atheists. Charles Darwin said, I have never been an atheist. So out of the eight famous men on the poster, there was only one who was an atheist, Ernest Hemingway. According to his biographer, back in 1961, Hemingway, quote, pushed two shells into the 12-gauge Boss shotgun, put the end of the barrel into his mouth, pulled the trigger, and blew out his brains. There's your poster boy when it comes to atheism. Sad, sad story about Hemingway. Um, I just want to say anyone who's getting uh, one's worldview from liars, you are being indoctrinated, my friends, like it's 1932. It's short-sighted to choose a worldview according to the way that the cultural wind is blowing. And this in crowd, in this in crowd, often one's appetite for pleasure and popularity is the only God that they're serving. And that seems to us here at Older Women Likewise to be a very shallow purpose for living. And this shallow purpose for living, of course, is much more fun in the middle of life than at the end of it. So I just want to conclude our thoughts tonight about... Um, where this all lands, like atheists cherish the false narrative that people believe in an imaginary God because they fear death. The opposite is actually true. We Christians love life. And at the same time, we believe when God says to die is gain. Philippians 1.21. For those who love God, life is good. And in the next life, it only gets better. Christians don't believe in God because they fear death. In fact, it takes more courage to believe the realities that God reveals about the afterlife um, than it does to disbelieve those. The child of God sees death as a reunion with her heavenly father. And for the good of the souls of the atheists listening to this, consider this question from C.S. Lewis. He says, it is easy to say you believe a rope to be strong and sound as long as you're, you're merely using it to cord a box. But suppose you had to hang by that rope over a precipice. Wouldn't you then first discover how much you really trusted it? Only a real risk tests the reality of a belief. And that's really, we're all kind of on a precipice precipice right i mean our mortality hangs us over the edge and so i'm just inviting everyone listening to check your rope do you really trust what you believe that you'd bet your eternity on it any other thoughts ladies i'd like to conclude us in in prayer tonight i know it's kind of not what we usually do but this, this particular program really meant a lot to us. We understand it to be foundational to all of our other programs. If there's no God, none of the other things we talked about last year even matter. So everything relies on this. We've put a lot of love into this one, a lot of time. And our hearts just really go out to those that we hope that we've touched tonight. So I'm going to end this program in prayer tonight. Please pray with me. 
God, we acknowledge your undeniable existence. You have made your presence the most obvious reality of any reality. You've clearly answered our prayers time and again. Just as you've created a beautiful planet, we have seen with our own eyes, we've seen you create beautiful lives from utterly broken lives. No one has a record for helping people break their addictions or overcome their vices and lead productive and fulfilling lives than you, Lord. Truly, without you, nothing makes sense. But with you, everything makes sense. We want to enjoy an eternity with you and pray the same for every soul who has listened into this conversation tonight. Give them the courage, Lord, to soften their hearts, lay down their will, give up what you've said will hurt their souls, to lay all that at your feet, bow the knee and cry out to you with a willingness to be baptized, immersed in water, to be born again to a fresh start in life and to live the rest of their lives for your glory. Through the powerful name of Jesus Christ, we all ask this. Amen.